0: This week, the mental health of athletes took center stage as we saw Team USA gymnast Simone Biles withdraw from her Olympic competition. She said she was not there mentally. And in the sports world, there's something called the yips, where athletes unexplainably lose fundamental skills of their sport, and it can impact their decision-making. In gymnastics, it's called the twisties, and it can be especially dangerous if you're flipping and twisting in the air and land wrong. It could be catastrophic. For more on Simone Biles and her struggles, we'll speak to Liz Clark sports writer at the Washington Post.
1: The word itself sounds like this is sort of a girly thing, some kind of silly episode, but it's really quite, gravely serious. And there's a paradox involved here about Simone Biles and her gymnastics and women's gymnastics in general. You know, the convention is that you need to make it look effortless and graceful, and that masks how incredibly risky and dangerous these skills are, particularly the ones Simone was planning to do at these Olympics. Messing up, being off just a slight percentage on her vault, on her balance beam dismount, on many of her floor skills, the result of messing up even slightly isn't just a bad score, it can be a catastrophic leg injury, it could be a spinal cord injury, it could be a life-altering injury. So back to that term that seems so fanciful, but it's really (laughs) quite not, it's really a mind-body disconnect. And for a gymnast, with any flip you do, and there's a flip on all four apparatuses one way or the other, you're gonna lose sight of the ground when you're flipping in the air. And so you need to have acute body awareness. Where is my body positioned relative to the ground? Some flips, you're gonna be able to see the ground right before you make contact. But Simone tries several that are really blind landings. You don't see the ground. And that's where you cannot be off. You cannot have this disconnect. You can't lose track of where you are. And you can't really have any doubt. The notion of doubt, that is my muscle memory going to take over here? Can I do this because I've done it 10,000 times? You know, that's what you rely on. But every so often, you have this doubt. And as gymnasts explain it, you can't pinpoint why it's happened. You can't say, I'll be over this in 24 hours. I'm going to get it back. You just don't know. But there's really no choice when the stakes are so high, but to stop.
0: And we saw it happening a little bit. She she took to the vault once. She was supposed to do a two and a half twisting vault. She ended up just doing one and a half twists. And that's when she knew uh, at that point, oh man, I lost myself in there. And as you mentioned, kind of the cascading effects of it, how it negatively impacts your performance, where you're relying on that muscle memory, that instinct now gets replaced by thought, overthinking. You start worrying about it. And then- it just gets stuck in your head. It, it's so hard. And some of the gymnasts that uh, you know shared their stories in relation to all this, you almost have to go back to basics and retrain your body not to twist when you don't want to. So in a highly competitive situation like the Olympics, you don't have the time to really go back to basics on that.
1: That's exactly right. So you not only don't have the time, but you don't even have access to the equipment. Because these apparatuses are used by all athletes from all around the world, it's very limited, very controlled. You can touch this equipment for X number of minutes before you compete. So, and again, it's a self-doubt. We saw a little bit of it even in qualifying the Sunday before that she wasn't the complete Simone. And I don't think anyone freaked out at that point because she had a couple bounces out of bounds and she wasn't perfect. But instead of being able to rein it in, it just reached a point where it was unsafe to her physically to continue. And there was a selfless component of her decision that I think is lost on a lot of people. She knew that if she persisted and tried to like fight her way through it, A, there's the risk of catastrophic injury to herself, but that her scores were not going to be her normal scores, and it was going to hold back her three teammates. It was going to hold back everyone. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. both reasons she took herself out of that competition.
0: You know, I, I'm I'm very glad that the conversation of you know the yips and and the twisties in this particular context kind of came out because it helps explain that mental headspace that uh, Simone Biles was in. You know, a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, she quit. Oh, she can't hang. You know, that was the negative side of things. A lot of people were very, very supportive of her. But this helps explain it a little bit more for the non-competitive athlete, for those that just kind of watch in in passing. This kind of pinpoints, you know, as you mentioned, the danger and that, that doubt that overtakes you when you're competing at the highest levels.
1: Yes. No, you're exactly right. You know, her phrasing kind of sent a wrong cue to people who are just casual fans when she said, like, I wasn't in the right headspace. I knew exactly what she meant. That's super serious. But it could be interpreted as like, I just wasn't feeling the vibe, you know, like maybe a (laughs) snowboarder might say, yeah, I wasn't feeling it. I'll just sit down. It was not that at all. It's far more analogous to like the pilot of a 747 packed who shows up for the flight and he's suddenly stricken with vertigo or double vision or realizes something is wrong. And you could say, yeah, I wasn't in the right headspace, but the stakes here are super, super high for, again, for her safety, for her teammates' chances at a medal. So the people who are slamming her, which I do not get at all, I just really don't think they understand that this is more than. Yeah, I woke up today. I wasn't really in the mood to do gymnastics. Yeah. It's not at all that.
0: Liz Clark, sports writer at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: Bye-bye. Here come the vaccine mandates. Just don't call it a mandate yet. President Biden announced a new requirement for all civilian federal employees and contractors to reveal their vaccination status. The same thing is happening in California, where Governor Gavin Newsom is requiring health care workers and state employees to show the proof of vaccination or get tested weekly. But California has the added political twist. There's an ongoing recall election for Gavin Newsom. For more on all these new vaccine requirements, we'll speak to Erin Alday, health writer at the San Francisco Chronicle. So
2: uh, the state just on Monday, as you said, put out a new policy that all state workers, so that's more than 250,000 people who work for the state, must show proof of vaccination and if they don't want to show proof or they don't have that proof because they're not vaccinated then they have to undergo weekly testing at at least weekly testing to prove that they're not infected Um, and they have to um, go back to where I mean they have been wearing masks but they will definitely be required to to wear masks that kind of thing but basically the big change here is that everyone in the state has to prove whether or not they're vaccinated
0: previously workers uh, could self attest that they had gotten the vaccine so that'll be a little embarrassing if those people have uh, had said they gotten it and now they have to go back to wearing masks and all that what are we seeing with numbers in california it's a, you know obviously it's a very big state but what are what are we seeing numbers wise that is prompting this
2: like a lot of parts of the country, there have been some really big concerning increases in cases statewide. So, you know, we're now seeing cases up to kind of where we were almost at the, at the start of the winter surge um, in some places. Um, and we're seeing them increase rapidly. They're kind of doubling every week or every two weeks. So they're just going in completely the wrong direction. And I think the cases on their own are concerning enough, although, we're kind of hoping the hospitals will be protected just because we do have a lot of people vaccinated in California. But we're seeing our hospitalization numbers increase a lot, too, which I think really has a lot of people alarmed because it's probably a sign that, like, this Delta is just getting into every person, every pocket that is not vaccinated in the state. And you get enough of those people infected and you're going to see those hospitalization numbers really drive up.
0: Yeah, we have about 62 percent of all eligible Californians that are fully vaccinated so far. Obviously, we want those numbers to go higher. And this is an effort for that. But that's what we're seeing. As I mentioned at the beginning, New York is doing something very similar to what California is doing. And the federal government, this is the first mandate now from the federal government telling VA uh, healthcare workers to get the vaccine. And I'm assuming, you know, once California and and the federal government starts doing something like this, we'll start seeing other states fall into place with these types of uh, rulings as well.
2: I think we're going to see a lot more of this overall. San Francisco actually was the first city in the country, I think still may be the only country to actually mandate vaccinations of all of their city employees. That will go into effect after FDA approval of the vaccines, but that's anticipated pretty soon. And San Francisco also is already requiring all of its healthcare workers and people in congregate settings to be vaccinated. That's whether you work for the city or not. So we're seeing things like that. I think we're seeing you know a lot of private businesses now requiring vaccination, even requiring that their customers be vaccinated or show proof of vaccination before they enter. So, you know, I think just people are really concerned and rightfully so about this Delta variant. And the thinking is that our vaccination numbers just aren't moving in the right direction fast enough. You know, obviously we are still increasing vaccination, but it's such a slow process at this point. And the sense is that we're just, there's this urgency that we really just can't be patient with folks any longer. We need to sort of, use more of that kind of stick approach, make it uncomfortable to be unvaccinated to get more people
0: on board. How has the enforcement been so far in San Francisco with some of those limited measures that they've been taking?
2: You know, we're still at the very early stages of that. So I think that kind of remains to be seen. You know, I mean, the idea is that if you refuse to be vaccinated, you can't work for the city. And I think we haven't come to that place yet. Not enough time has passed to kind of give people that opportunity to do it or not. So I mean, that is definitely going to be one of the next big questions, right? Like how many people are going to refuse to do this and what happens? You know, what do you do with those folks? I think the hope is that this will be enough to get more of those people on board.
0: We can't ignore the fact that Governor Gavin Newsom is going through a recall election right now. I think in September is when California voters will be voting on that. What do you make of this current action, you know, as far as it relates to, to that recall effort?
2: Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question. And certainly, you know, I talk to a lot of public health officials. I talk less to sort of the political pundits, So I can't, you know, I can't come with like real expertise there. But I know a lot of of the public health folks are very concerned that that recall, that election is is a factor here. It's really, really hard to make these tough decisions to, say, issue like another mask mandate to, you know, require everybody in the state to wear masks again, to issue any sort of new kind of lockdowns, even to sort of put out a mandate, you know what I mean? And it's got to be at least on his mind, you know, that these are people who are going to be voting in September and and be thinking about that. But on the other hand, a larger part of the population really doesn't want to see this thing spiraling out of control all over again, right? So we need to kind of find a way to kind of mitigate this and get things back under some sort of control with sort of the least kind of in-your-face measures that are going to, you know, just upset a lot of people. So it's, it's a really, it's always been a fine line to walk, but now it's even, <laughs> right. it's got to just be even more precarious.
0: Erin Alday, health writer at the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me again. Despite rising cases of COVID, it can still be very tough to persuade the vaccine hesitant, and it can be even tougher talking to family and friends. Experts say the first step is to listen closely and try to understand their reasons for refusing the shot. It's also important to focus on your relationship and de-escalate if things get heated. For more on how to talk to family and friends about getting the vaccine, we'll speak to Derek Hawkins, reporter at The Washington Post.
3: It's something that had been on my mind because I'm in a position just like millions of people around the country where I have relatives who are holding out, you know, don't want to get vaccinated for one reason or another. And uh, you know, we've seen a lot of it. The threat from the Delta variant, as you said, is bad or worse than it's ever been. The case rates among the unvaccinated are, if you can believe it, as high as they were during the peak in January. So it really is becoming kind of a pandemic among the unvaccinated, as the Biden administration is calling it. And so I asked some behavioral scientists, some marketers who've studied this stuff, some psychologists at this point, you know, what the best ways, what the best kind of tools we have for approaching people who are hesitant to get the vaccine. And it was really interesting what they said, you know, for starters, I think it's important to keep in, in mind why we're approaching these friends and relatives in the first place. It's because we love them. It's because we want them to be healthy. It's because we don't want them to get the virus. And I think a lot of us you know, forget to just say that. You know, we're not trying to go in and win a debate. We're not trying to win the argument or to shame them or to berate them. We're there because we love them. We're there because we care about their health and safety. So for starters, you know, anybody entering one of these conversations to just say that I love you. I care about you. This is keeping me up at night. You know, it's okay to show some vulnerability. After that, you know, it's really important to listen, you know, just to be a good listener. If you ask people what their concerns are, their reasons might surprise you. We've heard a lot about ideological identity, sort of political based reasons that people don't want to get vaccinated. And there's plenty of that. But maybe it's something as simple as childcare. Maybe they can't get off work. Maybe they have a fear of needles. A huge portion of the country is afraid of needles. So ask, listen. Right. And once you have an idea, tailor your message. Tell them there's a few different groups of kind of people that, you know, might be holding out against the vaccine. Think about where they're at. You know, if they're apathetic consider bartering, offer a trade, offer babies with kids, offer them a case of beer. There's nothing wrong with that. And if they're worried about the safety, consider a logical approach. Consider saying, look, it's going to be the vaccine or an infection. Which do you want to take your chances on? And if they're worried about it for some sort of political reason or something like that, it might help to say, well, this person who belongs to your sort of political group or social group actually says it's a really good thing. So, you know, all those things are important to keep in mind.
0: And those two definitely go hand in hand, listening and then tailoring that message. You know, you can't really persuade someone unless you really know what that reason is that they're hesitant to be in the first place. And as you mentioned, speaking to behavioral scientists, they do group them into the unvaccinated set right now into three major groups. You know, the, the apathetic, those that it might just be an inconvenience or unnecessary given their circumstances, the skeptical of the medical science and then the political, the ones that for political and ideological reasons don't want to get, those are the hardest to reach as well. You know, you're going to have to try not to get into a debate, as you mentioned earlier, that'll just set you back even more and cause them to dig in more.
3: It's hard, you know, especially, you know, I, I'm a reporter. I like to debate people, you know, and I've definitely been guilty of that myself, where I find myself kind of pelting somebody with, with facts and figures and trying to convince them just through evidence. But the reality is, They've got evidence too. I mean, it might not be factual. It might be getting it from some questionable source or something like that. But when you throw a lot of evidence, when you throw a lot of facts at people, they tend to put their guard up. And at this point, we're so far into the pandemic that they probably have a response ready. If you say, "Well, the CDC says it's safe," you know, it's well, it's easy to say. Well, well, this other doctor that I trust or this other political figure that I trust says it's not safe. And then again, just going back to like thinking about. Which kind of groups or what you're talking to, or what reasons people might have. You know, there's a lot of distrust of the healthcare system and healthcare institutions and, and pharmaceutical companies among minorities who've been, you know, historically abused, mistreated, and failed by some of these institutions. And, you know, I, I would never tell a person of color to just trust the government on their face. So again, like it's weedy, but the most important thing, it can't say it enough, is to try to empathize and tell them that it's because you care.
0: And that's so important. I mean, you have to start from that place, you know, explain why you're even trying to talk to them about something. And when things get heated, you know, I like the way you put in the article, de-escalation is key. You don't want to get to the point where you're fighting about this. Now you're really just trying to help out. And sometimes that message won't be received, but getting into a big heated argument about something is not going to help anybody either.
3: It's true. And it's hard to resist. And again, like I'll just say like, uh, I mean, I empathize with the people who are frustrated too. And sometimes it's okay to just scream about it, just in the make sure it's in the right company, right? If you're having trouble convincing someone, you know, maybe consider talking to, you know, one of your vaccinated friends or something like that to vent your frustration so that you've kind of got that out of your system when you go in and try to persuade the relative or friend who's holding out again, you know. And, and you know, like you said, it's really important to sort of avoid debate. De-escalate. If you, think, if you sense things are getting tense, de-escalate. Yeah. Don't try again. Don't try to win the argument, you know, and no one to walk away. Sometimes this takes, uh, a, a, you know, yeah. repeated uh conversations, you know, people are convinced over time with little bits of information, you know, you, you don't, 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 you're not a failure. If you don't convince someone on your first try, in right. fact, that's totally normal and it's totally worth coming back again, again, trying different things, making it an ongoing conversation is really important too. And, um, Because, you know, we just we have to accept certain realities here. You know, the the situation is quite different than it was, say, in like February or March uh, when vaccinations started to open up to larger portions of the population beyond just the extremely vulnerable people. Right. They're more widely available than ever. The Delta variant is looming. I mean, cases are, are rapidly rising right now. And uh, the information about the safety and efficacy of the vaccines has never been clearer. So like the the evidence is out there, you know, if um, if people who are holding out against getting vaccinated, they they don't they don't they they could they could find the evidence at any major news organization on the CDC website, whatever, you know, uh, people are dug in right now. And it's important to understand that. And uh, and their personal evidence, you know, every day that they don't get sick, their personal evidence that they don't need the vaccine Uh, is mounting too. So it's important to keep that in mind. No one to walk away. Know that it might take a few tries and just, you know, in every conversation, remind the person why you're there. You love them. You care about them.
0: Derek Hawkins, reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us.
3: Thank you. It was my pleasure.
0: Don't forget to join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment Give us a rating and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Oscar Ramirez and this is the Daily Dive Weekend Edition.